Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% marginal gains that society has become obsessed with and instead focus on the other 99%. Throughout this series, we'll discuss all things related to self-actualization and becoming the very best possible version of yourself. I'm your co-host, Tom Osmond, as always joined by George Cook. And today we are on our second episode in the series on training related topics. And we're primarily going to be discussing exercise selection and lifting tempo today. Yeah, we're excited to learn again. I learned lots last week, so this is going to be good. Yeah, I think exercise selection is always an interesting one. The lifting tempo, I just see as something that people, uh, do people get it wrong quite a lot? I think it's a very misunderstood area. Okay, well, hopefully we can put some of that stuff to bed. Yeah. What have you been up to this week before we get into exercise selection? What have I been up to? I've been in the lake a few times this week. Um, it's we've now hit a point where, although I wouldn't consider it to be warm, we're not on like the lakes aren't open to their full size because of the temperature. It's so much warmer now than it has been that I'm now able to get in and like enjoy swimming and not worry about the cold. Um, so that's been really really nice. I had one on Wednesday. I think it was about the only sunny day we've had in a couple of weeks and it was just glorious like I got out and almost warmed up when I got out because the weather was so good um so that's yeah, been it was, like a it, was Thursday, it was Thursday wasn't it it was nice or maybe it was Thursday one of the Wednesday for you I went to the beach on Thursday which beach did you go to we went to Formby where is that near Liverpool oh, okay any good S- sounds sounds rubbish but yeah it's nice there <laughs> We were going to go to North Wales because there's some nice beaches along there, but we only went down in the afternoon. It's a bit further to drive, so yeah. Yeah, fair. Have you got your car back yet? Yeah, yeah, got got the car back. Had that back for a few weeks now. Oh, the Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, we actually did get a new car this week. Did you? Oh, yeah, that one, nice. that one that you sent me before that you were looking at. Yeah, yeah, we went for it, so that's arrived. Um, yeah, the Mercedes. Yeah, the Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> decent <laughs> how's your week been um yeah it's been all right i've been um my boss had just had a baby so i've been back in manchester for two weeks covering while he's on paternity leave um and then yeah i'll go back to taunton on wednesday night or thursday so i've just got to come back up here two or three more times and i can finally leave which has been yeah. uh which i'm looking forward to yeah it's been a tough push isn't it because you announced that you're leaving but you haven't actually been able to leave for quite an extended period of time yeah yeah and then i start start a bit of personal training next month as well which should be something new mentally we've spoken quite a lot about different sort of aspects of life and like how you organize yourself and how you plan and move forwards and, and try to stretch forward for goals um i'm probably going to catch you a bit off guard with this one but i was just wondering how have you found the psychology of having goals and trying to move on with plans but still having this kind of temporary anchor not anchor but it does feel like that temporary commitment let's go with commitment (laughs) yeah it's hard because i was really reluctant to stay for the three months when i did have him on notice because i didn't actually have to because i was within my six month probation period i could have left literally the week after yeah um yeah they they convinced me and in a way, I kind of wanted to see off the season, but if I went back, I probably wouldn't have agreed to that again. Because yeah. um, it does feel like I do just want to get on with the next chapter, whatever that is going to be. Um, and I find it really hard to like get motivated while I'm at work, and I think that's shown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Motivation is such a a transient thing, isn't it? It can change like day to day, hour to hour. But if you find yourself in one of those positions where it's consistently low then change is the right option isn't it yeah well i sent you that thing on burnout didn't i yeah it's really interesting do you know what it's completely unrelated but i'm going to read it out because i thought it was really good so um, it, it, it was it was signs of burnout and i reckon i tick five out of those seven boxes so it's definitely the right decision for me yeah we had exhaustion um dreading work trouble sleeping depression or feelings of low mood drowning 
short temper and no time for non-work related things the drowning i think that meant in work didn't it just like everything's about work yeah yeah not like in a bar oh, i did yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I felt like four or five out of those seven like I, I don't feel depressed i don't really feel like i'm drowning i did at the start um but the main telling ones to me are like exhaustion trouble sleeping dreading work um definitely no time for activities like non-work related but it was really interesting actually because when i first got to manchester i went on loads of dates for the first like month or two that i basically did nothing until i handed in my notice and i started like dating again and doing other stuff yeah do you think um, that's so, yeah. a time related thing like uh we've spoken about competency and like when you first get to the job you're very enthusiastic and and feel like you've got energy and then as as you become more tired and more fatigued that's kind of impacted everything else as well yeah, and, the, and the, the big one for me when you especially like the non-work related activities thing because our schedule is so random we get a monday and a thursday off it just yeah. feels so like it's almost impossible to have work-life balance so i don't feel like i don't feel like i'm drowning in terms of like work hours and that kind of stuff but just like normality of living um but i've, I've had today off and i've done next to nothing other than like a bit of training and went for a walk because it's yeah. yeah i think that's it isn't it if everybody else had monday and thursday off then you'd be able to consistently plan different yeah. things. I certainly find that in teaching where during term time, it's very difficult to kind of schedule in anything. And then I'm that person that says to someone, oh, do you want to meet up on a random like Tuesday afternoon because I've got yeah. six weeks of holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes you super unpopular. Yeah, but no, I'm, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to moving on. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it'll be good. I'm excited. Excited to see what happens. Yeah. You've got the new gym set up. Have we spoken about that yet? Uh, I don't think we have because I did Which that one. You crash in the van, just to be clear, you crashed the van. Um, I, I don't want to talk too much about you crashing the van, but other than that... <laughs> did we talk about that on the podcast last week? You spoke about how you gave it back and you'd crashed it and ruined its clutch. Yeah, I got my deposit back. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did talk about it, yeah. Um, and yeah, new, new gym setup's good. I only trained in it twice before I had to come back up to Manchester um and i'm actually i'm actually trying to sell some of the kit on again because it takes up a lot more space than i thought it would yeah um yeah i'm happy with it yeah i'm slightly jealous i'm still in the process of shifting gyms um so I, i'm look, very much looking forward to a fresh start myself and i think there's something to be said with a, a fresh start and a clean slate as well when it comes to training and we'll speak about this with exercise selection i think because that's certainly one of the views that i have with it but if you get in the habit of going to the same place every single day and doing the same thing, whilst that has loads of benefits, every now and again, I think a change is good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And well, we, we could link it to um, some of the training principles. Obviously, variety is one of those principles, and I'll come yeah. up to why you might want to use that in reference to exercise selection um, in, in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We've been listening to some different podcasts this week as well, haven't we? With um, I, I had another go at listening to Stephen Butler. I still maintain that we're significantly better than he is, despite his millions of downloads. Um, but I think we have a difference of opinion on that because not obviously we are both better than him. But I, I actually quite enjoy listening to his podcast. <laughs> you don't really like it, do you? Um, I've only listened to a couple, so I may be being a bit like harsh in my snap decision. But I think if you're in a position to have such interesting people come on to talk be engaging like actually sound like you're interested in these people because they've given up their time to come on your show and you just don't sound excited to have them so yeah, i've not picked up on that yeah maybe i'm very cynical um which is not beyond the realms possibility but um i was listening to his one um alex cooper with the podcast call her daddy it's the world's number one female podcaster Okay. Um, and she was talking about like the difficulties of having had such rapid growth and trying to deal with um, the fame and stuff. I haven't finished it yet, but actually that's probably the first one that I found where I found them both engaging to listen to. Yeah. Um, yeah, his Richard Hammond one. I love Richard Hammond. I love Top Gear. I love the Grand Tour. And then I'm going to sound like I'm just bad-mouthing Stephen Butler. I don't want to do that. But he was lucky that Richard Hammond was so good at talking because he just didn't offer much. <laughs> I'll have to listen to that because I quite like Richard Hammond. Um, the one thing I hate about that podcast and a lot of other ones like that is they all promote Whoop and I hate Whoop. Yeah. 
<laughs> I get a little bit annoyed every time they try and promote it. <gasps> like, if, if you listen to this podcast, don't buy a whoop band. They're shit. <laughs> and yet here I am wearing one and you're, you've paid for one that you're not wearing. So <laughs> <laughs> whoop don't care. We're still giving them the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But it's, it's all marketing. I would not recommend it at all. I don't know. I'm still slightly on the fence, and I think maybe it's because I've made that that financial commitment to it. But that thing I sent you this morning with um, like sleep habits that it's tracked for me. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not the type of person that wants to write that down in pen and paper every day and figure it out myself. It's just nice to have something that does that. Yeah, I just think just listen to your body. Yeah, there Bearing is. Bear in mind, I probably yeah. lean more on the objective than the subjective side. I, yeah, yeah. I just think wearables aren't at a place yet where uh, I just don't trust them. I don't trust the data they produce. Yeah, fair enough. Um, when we spoke about the unplugged um, our episode on on removing ourselves from the digital life, I think that's even more important because we're relying on them for like twenty four seven feedback now. Like whoop, yeah. um, you don't even take it off to charge it. So yeah. you're actually there all the time. Um, and like you, I think I'll see my year out, and then unless unless they start to improve and become a bit more encompassing, I think I'll probably shift because every now and again I'll be sitting, I don't know, watching TV or something, and be like, activity detected, max heart rate two hundred and twelve. Oh my goodness, two hundred twelve. Yeah, I, I just don't. When I first got mine, I think it was really accurate for the first month, and because I'm a loser, I did like a load of tests with it, comparing it to like chest straps, and it seemed to line up really well. And it used to. I used to wake up and it would like show me my sleep almost straight away. Yeah. And well, and it used to pick up activities by itself. And then like after a few months, it started not doing any of that. So I don't know if it was just like damaged or something. Yeah. Um, I'd say mine still does a lot of those things. Just the occasional like random heart rate. Yeah. And then my heart rate variability was 90 something for the first couple of months on average. And then it dropped to like 30 or 40, despite me doing more running in like yeah. cv work which should be the opposite um so yeah it's just i just didn't trust it no that's fair um it's interesting because compared to the garmin wrist rate um heart rate variability sorry like i get such a low score on the garmin compared to whoop really yeah my whoop yours set, is quite low as well though isn't it yours is like 50 or 60 my hrv oh, when i'm rested so on holiday it was up over 100 um yeah. And then as soon as I get back to work and try and balance training and work, it it drops. It's, it's sort of held firm at about 70-ish. Yeah. Um, but on Garmin, it sits at 40-something. So, you know, it's a massive, massive discrepancy between two devices that both claim to be accurate. Yeah, good part of that will be measurement because Whoop takes it while you're asleep. Yeah. I'm guessing, do you sleep on your Garmin or no? Yeah. Uh, right, not that then. <laughs> <laughs> Um, should we crack on with talking about exercise selection? Oh, yeah, we kind of went off on a tangent there. That's good of us, wasn't it? Well, I thought you were going to talk about the dating stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was an interesting podcast. I think we took very different things away from it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I the psychology I behind... Dating, this, the what, sorry? I think in terms of dating, we have different interests, don't we? Yeah, I imagine we do, yeah. So I think I remembered the things that are more applicable to me. Yeah, but the psychology of compatibility of people in general, I think it's a really interesting topic. It's probably a topic for us for another for another day. We could really get into it because, it, yeah, there was a lot in there not about dating, just about yeah. how people like communicate and relate in the 21st century, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But what it did remind me of was there's, there's just so much. And I said this to somebody the other day, like if you want to – exercise eat well spend time with your friends spend time with your family go to work like get the proper sleep do mobility you know raise a family whatever it is doing all of that in a day like ha- what <laughs> there's Not the mobility yeah <laughs> was it one of the stats so when you get into a relationship you lose two close friends because of because t- of the t- time commitment is that a thing is it yeah maybe that wasn't on that one but th- apparently that is a theory because you can only, like you said, you've only got so much time. Yeah. And the time commitment of getting into a new relationship normally means you lose two close friends, apparently. All right. Well, you'll have no friends then. <laughs> <laughs> I have minus one. 
Um, yeah, let's let's talk about exercise section. Yeah, go on then. So I suppose a useful starting point is to differentiate between strength and hypertrophy. And then once you know what your goal is based on that, then that that would almost be like my first filter to decide which exercises you're gonna pick in a in a program. So if your focus is on strength, obviously you need to practice the movements that you want to get stronger at. Um, which we've spoken about before. It's really obvious that if you want a strong squat or a strong deadlift, um, or what's what else the strong bench, they're like the big three, aren't they? Yeah. Which is what guys normally um, care about. Um, then you're gonna need to do like a decent amount of that in your in your program. And then for hypertrophy, there's literally no exercise you have to do. Um, and I'll give some examples in in a little bit, but the key thing from a hypertrophy standpoint is like understand the tissue you're trying to target or trying to make bigger. And then when you understand the anatomy of that, then you can pick an exercise that's more suited to it. So I've got a question on that. And you yeah. can tell if we're going to come to it later. So we've spoken before about um, fatiguing muscle groups at different times in a session. So if you do a bunch of tricep extensions and then your bench, you will actually engage your chest less and your triceps more when you're doing a bench press. But when we're thinking about hypertrophy, I think the compound movements tend to go out the window the first and we go for a lot of isolation movements. Do you think that's a, a good recommendation for hypertrophy? I know that you said no exercise you have to do. But in terms of those types of things, what do you reckon? Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because I suppose you could even differentiate between hypertrophy and bodybuilding. Yeah. Um, if it was hypertrophy, as in like you're just trying to make someone larger, I would stick to more compound movements. Yeah. And then obviously bodybuilding is a little bit different because it's like um, sculpting, isn't it? So like you might have like certain areas you want to bring up where you might need to use more isolation movements to really target that specific muscle group. Yeah. Um, for for me, I think I don't know. I don't really like that kind of mindset of bodybuilding. Like if you just want to generally put on a bit of muscle mass, I prefer hypertrophy programs to those older type like bodybuilding programs where you're doing like tons of rear delt work. Maybe it's because I don't enjoy it, but yeah, it's not not for me that kind of stuff. Yeah, I also think the relevance to most people unless you're competing is is not over specific. It's just something I've observed quite a bit of in the gym that these exercises are still present and I kind of wondered to what extent they actually have a benefit. Yeah, I I think most people pick too many exercises in a program and accumulate too much junk volume. Um the what was I going to say then? Another interesting um model i guess you could call it uh have you heard of renaissance periodization like mike, mike israel no so he came up with this theory called stimulus to fatigue ratio and the idea is that say you're trying to target um your quadriceps if you did loads of free weight squats you'd get a decent stimulus in your quads if you're using like a good range of movement getting good depth but the fatigue would be really really high yeah Whereas if you picked a leg extension or a hack squat or a Smith machine squat or any other type of squat, you'd get the same stimulus to increase your quad size, but it'd be less fatiguing um, on your central nervous system. Is that because of everything else that's had to engage to secure that that squat movement? Is that why? Yeah, it just it it just accumulates more. You know what it's like when you have to get up for a heavy set of squats or like a higher up set of squats. Yeah, absolutely. You do that and you kind of feel like wiped out after it. Whether like where the fatigue in the system is actually occurring, like whether because it could, could occur at different points. Whether yeah. it's like the signal from your brain down to your spinal cord, it, it, like you can get fatigue at different points in that. Um, okay. But the idea is that the peripheral fatigue or the fatigue on the quads is the same, so you're okay. better off picking the ones that are less taxing on your on your nervous system yeah nice well that makes sense but there's that yeah. emotional like you said the, the big three squat bench deadlift like people are quite uh i think if you're into that sort of thing people are quite proud of their numbers yeah for sure like look at me i'm the perfect example of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've climbed onto it for so long um and then another really good point that you made earlier was when you just feel like a bit burnt out of doing like the same exercise over and over again just rotating and 
I've, I've probably changed my mind on this slightly in the last few years because before I would have said at least keep your same compound movements um, year in, year out and just keep doing them maybe with different rep ranges or like a slightly different variation, but largely stick to the same. Yeah. And I probably agree with that less now. And I think you should rotate more, especially if you're just training for hypertrophy because the um, like learning the skill of the lift and getting those coordination changes is less important. We're just trying to get as much tension on the muscles as we can each time. So you can do that with tons of different exercises. And I just feel like it keeps sessions a bit fresher instead of trying to, because you need to be so close to failure for so many of your sets. Yeah. And you might not see that much progression week on week if you're an advanced, um, like advanced in terms of like training experience, training age, that kind of stuff. It can get really unmotivating. Um, and especially on those big three, because you know exactly what your numbers are. But I've... I just wrote myself a new program last week and I've moved away from from that. Yeah, for sure. I, the only uh, one I've still got in there at the big three is bench press, but I've actually moved my grip in a bit as well. So it's, I've like reset my training max on it. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting when you... I think the assumption is that we should like those, those big three movements as well. When I see a lot of PT induction things, like they're the exercises that they go for because they're the ones that people know yeah and i think competence breeds confidence so if you can get good at like three exercises that you could leave the gym and feel like you've had a good session maybe put in some sort of pull movement into that as well yeah like you'll leave the gym feeling good about what you've done and it'll make you more confident to go back and do it again so i think there's something to be said for the psychology of learning those as well yeah well the, the argument is right it it's um lots of muscle groups with one exercise so you yeah. have to do less exercises to get a full body workout. But oh, I'm probably going to contradict myself here. <laughs> but say say a, a squat is much more difficult to learn. And we we know that because you can see people that go to the gym for years and years and years and they still can't squat properly. Yeah. Versus, um, and we've spoken about this, like a hack squat or a Smith machine squat. It's going to be so much easier to get into good positions from your first session. Um, and then I think early on, people would get better results from doing those movements than the free weight movements. But it does work less muscle mass in terms of like some of the small stabilizers, but like the prime movers, you're going to get the same stimulus. And also if you think about it in a, I don't know, a sort of global perspective, you know, if those stabilizer muscles are not quite strong for most people, that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it's not the end of the world. And, and you can work them with other exercises that you'd probably put in your program in a way. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, I've taken us away from what we were talking about again. <laughs> so, well, essentially, the, the, the key points I've made so far are differentiating between strength and hypertrophy. There's no movements you have to do for hypertrophy. The movements you want to get stronger at, you have to do those movements because it's not just structural changes we're getting in terms of trying to make a muscle bigger, but also learning how to do that lift. So you can get better at the movement itself or the coordination of it i'm so gonna you need to practice that I'm and that's gonna... sorry i was no, going to go. say and that's that's specific to lifting heavy as well so you should do regular like one or two rep um sets at like 90 percent of your one rm you'd have to go 100 percent every time but the coordination between a heavy set and lighter set even if it's the same movement is still very different i was gonna say with the just on that point with the heavy lift I don't think I know the answer to this as a as a general rule. I think I would know based on who I'm working with at the time. But at what point do you trust yourself to lift that heavy? Because you get a lot of stimulus early on from not going anywhere near that kind of load or intensity. So yeah. at what point do you think, actually, I am ready? Or is it a slow build? I I think once... I would tend to, like, say I've got someone that's brand new to training and they want to get stronger at a certain lift. If they're good at the movement, I mean, like, the first couple of months, I'm probably going to stick to, like, tens and slowly progress yeah. to fives. Um, but then for a long time, I probably only really drop the rep ranges if they hit a plateau. Yeah. So if they're doing fives week in, week out, and they're like, I, I feel like I could go heavier, but I wouldn't be able to get five reps. So I say, okay, let's go a little bit heavier and we'll drop down to four reps or three reps. Yeah. And, yeah, just slowly transition from there. Because, um, yeah, like they're going to get stronger <clears throat> so easily anyway. They don't need to 
they don't need to go and do a one or two rep set in their in their first session. Yeah, fair. one of one of my favourite ways to progress once you get to those intermediate stages is just rotating between a set of five sets of five and five sets of three yeah. each week. So week A you go five fives, week B five threes, week C five fives, week D five threes. And then when you get into the more advanced stages and you can go five, three, one, and that's like one of the most famous strength programs, right? Is rotating between fives one week, threes the next week, once a week after that. So I think there's so much out there, isn't it? Like you could even do it within your set where you we used to do this quite a lot when we were younger, like pyramid testing where you'd go in eight, six, four, two in the same session. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like that's quite a lot of load. Yeah, and but again, you're only gonna do that once you get to like more intermediate advanced stages. Yeah. It's a nice way to get some stimulus for strength and hypertrophy with a kind of like minimalistic program. Yeah. And th- depending on, I would even differentiate between like someone with long femurs and short femurs because they might be able to get a lot of volume from a squat and it will still look really squatty. But if you've yeah. got someone with really long femurs and you know when they start squatting, it just ends up looking like a good morning. Yeah, the old squat mornings. Yeah, then <laughs> like for that for that person, I'm... I would lean towards doing a few heavy sets and then get the rest of their volume through a different lift, like a leg press or a hack squat. Yeah. Because for a long time, I think I was very anti-machine lifting. Yeah. And I would always encourage exercise selection that was either unilateral or at least a free weight because I felt that the, the global impact on the body was better. So like core activation, um, like you said, the um, the synergist muscles, the kind of supporting muscles as well, you just got much more um, benefit sort of holistically as opposed to just targeting one muscle group. But I think I've gone, like you say, a bit, a bit more to the middle now where I can see the benefits of both. Yeah, because the, the main thing, while I would differentiate between strength and hypertrophy, the main thing that dictates how strong you are is how big your muscle is. So... If you are trying to get stronger and you're past those like early beginner gains, one of the main things you can do is just try and make your muscles bigger because that's going to make you stronger as long as you keep that practice of the movement you want to get stronger at in. So all, all you do, like you know that example I gave of the person with long femurs, you might do a few heavy sets and then you know the key muscle groups for your squat are glutes and quads and lower back. So maybe you do a load of back extensions, a load of leg extensions um, and a load of hip thrusts. And then over time that'll make those muscle groups bigger should transfer over to your squat yeah nice um what other points did i need to make and then for hypertrophy you want to and you were kind of touching on this as well with the free weights because they work your stabilizer muscles because they're less stable so you have to stabilize yeah. if you're just trying to get as much tension on the muscle group as possible you actually want to make it more stable so you're not yeah. limited by that so it always makes me laugh when you know people really demonize um squats on bosu balls and that kind of stuff because yeah, they're yeah. not stable so then your force production goes down but at the same time they'll say oh smith machine to bags is too stable <laughs> like, that argument makes zero sense like, how can it be too stable that's just great for force production yeah so that again and like at the moment i'm not doing many free weight movements i'm just doing a couple and i'm doing most of my stuff on smith machines yeah fair i still i still don't love the smith machine if i'm honest yeah yeah i I was that person as well i used to hate it yeah um maybe i'll get there eventually who knows i might give it a go but it's just not for me at the moment but then i'm I'm not doing any strength training at all at the moment i'm just training by hypertrophy yeah fair and then like you say that stability and force production is, is helped by the fact that the smith machine is only moves in one plane yeah and then actually the, the ones on the slant as well, and this comes back to understanding your anatomy and the certain tissues you can target, but you know the ones that are on the slant, so as you come down, they can move more forwards. Yeah. But if you're going to squat on that, that's going to be brilliant for your quads, because it's going to force you into more knee flexion. Yeah. Whereas the ones that are straight up and down, then you can even do stuff like put your feet in front. And this is where understanding a bit of biomechanics is really useful. Because if you move your feet further forward, and this is something I see people banging on about on Instagram, and they just don't understand it. But do you know what a moment arm is? Yes. Yeah, so say you're squatting with your feet underneath you in a Smith machine. You're going to increase the moment arm if you put your feet further in front. 
because if you look at like where the joint is compared to the line of force, that's your moment arm. Yeah. So I was, the line. Yeah. So like I always see people talking about a hack squat and bringing your feet as low down as you can because that's going to bias your quads more. Is that it's actually not because like mm-hmm. there's no way you can do a hack squat without biasing your quads regardless of where you put your feet. But yeah. if you shift them up more, you're going to get a greater moment on your quads. So it's not going to use them anymore if you're coming closer. What coming closer does let you do is go into a deeper range without your back rounding. Yeah. So I yeah, I'd find the opposite of a Smith machine. But what if you put your feet further up, you get less backgrounding. So for people that are sort of unaware of the Smith machine, it's the the one where the the bar is in these runners and it goes up and down. I would want to put my feet further away from the bar and sit back into it to try and keep a neutral spine. Yeah, but then like the further away you go, as you as you come down, you're going to go into posterior pelvic tilt. Your hip, hip's going to come underneath you. Yeah. You know like that butt wink thing people talk about? Yeah, yeah. So when you're coming closer, and it, it does force a more acute knee angle. So when they're not like strictly wrong, but the language is wrong because you can get distal hypertrophy. So distal, distal means further down your leg, proximally yeah. means closer to your... Um, like torso so if you go through deeper ranges of knee knee flexion and i'm talking like arse to grass get right down yeah. and you, you, you can get more distal hypertrophy so like the quad nearer your kneecap will get bigger yeah. so when if you're doing a smith machine or a hack sport if you put your feet straight underneath you and go full range provided you've got enough um, range of movement to get into that really deep knee flex position you're probably going to bias distal um distal quadricep hypertrophy whereas if you go feet further away you're going to increase the moment arm so it's not any less quad but you might not get as much distal hypertrophy you might get more okay. like mid belly and proximal interesting yeah so i mean that's quite scientific but maybe re-listen to that if you didn't if it didn't sink in first time so i think that's really useful to take in yeah and then that kind of comes on to the other and this, this is where you might get a better quad stimulus out of it and this is re- applies to most muscle groups maybe not all of them but the the greater the range of motion is normally better for hypertrophy because yeah. you can get a stretch mediated hypertrophy so there's been a few studies recently and i touched on this at the end of the last episode where i can't remember who did the study but they stretched their cast for an hour a day and they got ridiculous gains i think it was 15 percent increase in cross-section area from just stretching their calf every day um and when you lift weights it is essentially loaded stretching if you're using a good full range of movement yeah so yeah i and i've been really trying to push that in my training recently as well but those gains are probably short-lived okay because you're you can make a muscle bigger by adding sarcomeres are like the smallest contractile part of a muscle group and you can add, add them um in parallel like this or in series so when when you add them in series, that that's increasing fascicle length, and it's really weird to think of a muscle getting longer because obviously the origin and insertion aren't changing. Yeah. What it does is it bulges up more in the middle. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if, if you use a really big range of movement, um, you can work on increasing fascicle length, and that's from the eccentric contraction as well. And then you add them in parallel from the concentric. Which is the shortening of the muscle. Which is a shortening part, yeah. So you want, you want some exercises where you get peak tension at that bottom position and some exercises where you get peak tension at the top. Um, but like I said, the fascicle length increases, they think that you get them really, really quickly and then it doesn't change much. So then you want to keep those big range of movement exercises in your program so you maintain that adaptation. Then probably focus on exercises with peak tension at the top where where you're getting the the shortest muscle position yeah that makes sense i like it and yeah they they don't think that applies to every muscle group definitely every muscle in the in your lower body so quads hammies calves glutes um and then maybe some upper body like chest probably does lats maybe not so much but yeah they're they're not too sure on that yet the nice thing about all of that is that when you break it down simplistically is that you need some exercises that take you through a full range and some exercises that 
are more concentrated. So I'm thinking squats and leg extension. Well, like that's your exercise variation and selection done. Yeah, like if you just want to get the biggest quads possible, just do a hack squat or a pendulum squat and, a, and leg extensions. And that's that's yeah. all you need. Obviously, you're going to get super bored and like <laughs> probably want to change at some point. Um, but yeah, the, the thing about the leg extension is a squat doesn't really work your rec fem, rectus femoris, which is one of the quad muscles, but a leg extension does because it crosses the hip and the knee. As you go down into a squat, you're obviously flexing at um flexing at both at the same time so the rec fem doesn't actually change length very much yeah. but when you're on a leg extension you stay in the same hip position and just extend your knee so you, the position it puts you in gets a lot of rec fem activation yeah fair similar for your uh bicep fem your your hamstring because it crosses both knee and hip in a, in a squat it doesn't get used very much <clears throat> and you've got some hamstrings that only flex the knee like the short head of the bicep fem yeah it's like hugely detailed isn't it basically just smash extensions and compound movements yeah yeah for your lower body yeah but then again like depending on it really and we're not gonna be able to cover everything in this episode because there's just too many muscle groups but um your adductor magnus for example is most active in really deep hip flexion yeah so you want to make sure you're getting and most people wouldn't have the range of movement to be able to do that with a free weight um, so then you're looking at like a Bulgarian or a, a hack squat leg press to get yeah. into those deeper hip flexion ranges to bias that tissue. Um, but yeah, but, uh, hypertrophy or bodybuilding is really, really simple from the fact that it doesn't matter what exercise you do, you just need to understand what muscle you're trying to target and you need to get close enough to failure. Um, but it gets more complex in terms of the functional anatomy, whereas strength is maybe harder to program for because you, you need different progression models and um, you'll get to a point where you, there's more to play with in terms of uh, different different ways you can progress with linear periodization, et cetera, et cetera. But like the exercise technique almost like doesn't really matter. You're just going to do it in a way that allows you to lift the most weight. Yeah. So that's why you see people like doing more low bar squatting and sumo deadlifting and that, that kind of stuff. So they're just, just get movements more that let them lift more weight. Yeah fair enough same with like the big arch and the bench press which just reduces the range of movement so like they're, they're quite different from that standpoint because making the muscle bigger you want as much range as possible really strength training you want where you want to reduce the range it's interesting uh, the bench laws have changed haven't they for world records now have they yeah you see those people sort of almost bent backwards like the exorcist or something like that yeah, yeah. i think the elbow now has to break the line of the back right okay whereas it didn't have to before. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just think it's silly. It is silly. You move it like half an inch and call it a rep, and you're like, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The same, the same. There's this big debate online about is the sumo deadlift cheating or not. Um, I just don't think it's comparable to anything other than a sumo deadlift. Yeah, and it, for most people, it is less range of movement. Muscle activation is quite similar. But the, I, I don't buy into that because it's just different. Because like the biomechanics yeah. principle is the muscle that's getting stre- stretched the most is working the hardest. Yeah. So it's going to, in fact, the mus- muscle activation is different. I don't know why people say it's the same. You get a lot more quad off of the initial position. Um, and then it's going to use your adductor more because you're wider, so it's getting stretched more. Um, yeah, com- compared to a conventional deadlift, which is going to be more lower back, more hip extension forces instead of knee extension. Can't say I do either at the moment, so that's fine. Well, I don't do either either. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully that does all that kind of make sense so far. Yeah, I think so. And then again, the the big difference between strength and hypertrophy is lifting tempo. Um, which there used to be this thing of time under tension. Do you remember hearing about that? Yeah, I'm going to wind you up with a question about that in a little bit. Yeah, do you want to say that first? Oh, yeah, go on then. Um, so this is from a rehabilitation perspective, looking yeah. at tendon strength and like yeah. tendon responses to slower movements. So looking at slow eccentric movements, increasing tendon strength in joints. Yeah, so the interesting about tendons, it doesn't matter what the contraction type is, they they just respond to load. 
Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's eccentric, isometric, concentric, like load is load for a tendon. So why is it that you're recommended often as a rehab um, practice to use a very slow eccentric? Is that because we are stronger in an eccentric movement, which is the lengthening of a muscle, and therefore we can hold it for longer and increase the load? That's why I use it in a rehab context. Yeah. Okay, um, fine. So I didn't wind you up. We agree. <laughs> yeah. But what was I going to say? Yeah, obviously, like isometrics are really popular for tendons. Yeah. And the, the idea of that is it's the least cost to the muscle. So then you can do them quite regularly without, without getting a lot of fatigue. Yeah, so I think, um, oh, fantastic, we can talk about them again. Ross Edgley, um, yeah. when he was training for his Everest rope climb, he basically had to get unbelievably resilient biceps but he couldn't train enough in a concentric, so like the lifting up of a movement. So he basically just did eccentrics the whole time, and that was how he trained to lift himself up a rope. Obviously, there was technique involved as well, but from the bulletproof bicep, as he referred to it, he basically just did the eccentric. So less it, what was damage. his reason? Less muscle damage. No, it's the op- you get more muscle damage from the eccentric. Well, I'm pretty sure that's what he said in his book anyway. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what he said, because he wasn't what, getting the same is- amount of dogs. One of you's wrong because I'm right. <laughs> yeah, e- eccentrics at long muscle lengths is like the main mechanism for muscle damage. You keep he talking just did the up. did he just did the concentric? That would make more sense. Oh yeah. 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 So like, if you just did concentric movements, and th- this was one of the theories that I've read about because. Uh, you know what we spoke about with like fascicle length not changing after a while. Yeah. And then, but you do get more muscle damage from eccentric. So if you wanted to train with more volume in a week, okay, if you've got a lot of muscle damage, it takes longer to recover. Whereas if you just, there's this theory that if you just do the concentric, you can train more frequently with high volumes and then get more muscle so basically growth. basically just pick something up and then drop it instead of putting it down. Yeah, well, that, that's the issue with it is it's really hard to do in practice. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't um, want to do that with a bench press and it land on you every single time. Bench press would be quite easy because you could set up, like, a pin press. Oh, yeah, okay. So if you had, if you had um, yeah, like, the safeties out to the side and just don't really control it down, just let it drop or free fall, yeah. you'd make a bit of a racket in the gym. <laughs> um, deadlift's quite easy, but, again, you probably get told off for dropping your weights. Um, Is it Planet Fitness, the American one? Well, it tells everyone off for dropping weights. Yeah, it, like, sets off a lunk alarm and you get kicked out. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, yeah, it's quite hard. Although some people just do it unintentionally. You know, when people just like drop down from a pull up, they'll probably get like very little passive tension on the way down. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard to do in practice. So I think most of the time you just lift, lift normally. Yeah. Um, and then you can get some really good benefits from just the eccentrics. Same as what we're talking about with the tendon, you get higher amounts of um higher amounts of tension on the muscle group but again it's quite hard to do in practice so like if you take that bench press you don't you need someone like lifting it back up for you and you just lower it down slowly yeah we think about force negatives but, at the end of a session for that or end of a set yeah i, li- I like that stuff yeah yeah if, if i was training with someone which i'm not currently i'd probably do more of that yeah um yeah you're going to get large amounts of muscle damage and you'll probably need longer to recover um afterwards it's going to bring your frequency down a bit so if you're training like that you're probably looking at hitting a muscle group and max or twice per week because muscle damage is going to be there for 48 72 hours um whereas if you didn't do that you could maybe train a muscle group three times a week yeah fair um so back to lifting tempo we're talking about (laughs) yeah the the time of detention thing if you're Essentially, the key message is if you're doing it so slowly that it's really reducing the load you're using or reducing the volume load for the set, you're probably going too slow. And that's about five seconds. For the whole rep? For the eccentric. Oh, for the eccentric. So if you're going longer than five seconds on the way down, it's probably too slow. And it's going to force you to use such a light weight that overall you're actually getting less of a stimulus from the movement. Yeah. Um that's yeah that's the key point then on the concentric you essentially want to lift as fast as possible um every time whether it's for strength or hypertrophy 
because the thing that causes attention is, is a voluntary decrease in concentric speed. So as, as it fatigues and you're getting that build up of like um, calcium ions and that kind of stuff in the muscle, like all of those fatiguing factors are going to cause your rep speed to slow down. Yeah. But you, your, lifting... your intention is still to lift as fast as possible. And a really good way of knowing if a set's stimulating for muscle group is stimulating for a muscle group is watching your rep speed slow down towards the end of the set. I was going to say, yeah, because you can still be lifting as quick as you can, even though your rep speed is lower. It's... Yeah. And then there's been some really interesting research on the strength training where actually you get better results staying further away from failure, keeping your bar speed higher. So it probably lets you accumulate like more quality work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but for hypertrophy, it's going to be less effective. Although you, similar to what I said about the muscle damage and less fatigue, sometimes staying two or three reps short of failure results in better muscle growth because you can recover quicker, train more frequently. Yeah. So just more load in the week, based like you could shatter yeah. your ability to to train again in a week if your time. It, under contraction is too long yeah and then the, the other interesting this is a bit of a tangent but there's been there's been a few studies that have looked at the same training program it was three days per week some of the group full body sessions some of the group did it monday tuesday wednesday and some of the groups did it tuesday wednesday sorry monday wednesday saturday so they had either 48 or 72 hours in between yeah and like next to no difference between groups in terms of strength increases or lean body mass increases really interesting i would have thought that was different yeah i would have guessed that um the group two would be better two would be better yeah yeah group group one the ones that did it monday tuesday wednesday actually ended up with more muscle mass and more strength increases but also started from a higher baseline okay so whether they were just genetically better able to tolerate um, more load yeah yeah yeah, so it's, it's not really clear that because all of the traditional models of adaptation are apply a stress, recover from the stress, adapt, and then you're stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem like it plays out like that in practice. And actually, a lot of these really high-frequency studies and training programs get better results in lower frequency. I like it. I think as well, like, the the other benefits of training can't be ignored you know thinking about how often you train like actually maybe having a less productive session from a physiological point of view because it's good for your mental state is still worthwhile doing yeah but that's essentially what i've been doing for the last month is i've not really followed a program i've just gone in and picked exercises that feel good and get a decent pump from yeah and it's not like you're in terrible shape no and I'm, i guess well i don't know i've not really i've been using training as a coping mechanism since i've been in manchester so i've been doing too much the whole time yeah I, mean, I wouldn't advise that no there are worse vices to have but probably not the greatest yeah yeah what i'm going to touch on oh yeah tempo if the quicker you go the more you load the tendon you get this thing called a stretch shortening cycle which is if you think of like an elastic band as your tendon, as you go down, essentially stretches the band and it recoils a bit. So you yeah. need to get that like slight bounce out of the bottom of a squat. So if you want to train for strength training, that that's going to allow you to lift more weight as well. I actually found this is again a, a tangent. We're good at these. The um the rules in powerlifting with a squat say that your bum is not allowed to hit the floor because people were coming so mobile that when they were getting that bounce out the bottom of the movement, they were actually um allowing that eccentric to happen so quickly that their bum was hitting the floor and they were using the rebound force to to get back up sounds painful yeah it sounds terribly painful but it was competition so they weren't doing it like every rep but um yeah that's why the rules say that you can't make contact with the floor i wonder if powerlifters actually had some quads back then (laughs) because they just deadlift their squats now don't they i can't um i can't imagine being that flexible but well i'll send you I will put this video on the Instagram page. All right, go for it. I, I did some squats today and I'm not far off. Oh, <laughs> um, Do I need to cover anything else? Does that give like a decent overview of exercise selection and tempo? Yeah, do you want to give us a quick roundup? 
Yeah, the, the key messages are decide whether you're training for strength for hypertrophy. If you're going to train for hypertrophy, pick exercises that allow you to use a greater range of movement, make it super stable and allow you to train close to failure safely. If you're training for strength, just pick exercises that you want to get stronger at and you'll probably be better off staying a bit further away from failure. If you're training for hypertrophy, pick exercises with a better, what Mike Isretel has called stimulus to fatigue ratio. So a deadlift would be a really bad choice for making your hamstrings bigger because there's going to be a lot of fatigue and it doesn't take your hamstrings through a big range of movement. Whereas an RDL would be a much better option. Yeah. Lifting tempo if you're training for strength, you want to get, you want to take advantage of the stretch shortening cycle, which is the elastic energy that your tendons can store and um, reutilize. So go a little bit quicker on the way down and back up. And the opposite of hypertrophy, you want to put the most amount of tension on the muscle as possible. So you might go a bit slower. And that's also going to play into the stimulus to fatigue ratio because it will be a slightly lighter load, which will be less um, centrally fatiguing, but you get the same stimulus on the muscle group. And then from a hypertrophy standpoint, understand the tissue you're trying to target and adapt it so you're taking that through its, its most range and, and close to failure. I like Honest, it. Anything? I think that's everything. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Yeah, but on maybe on the Instagram this week, we'll um, put up some examples of of what I'm currently doing to to work more towards hypertrophy. It was quite well received last week, so I think we'll go for it again. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, the, the video I'm talking about, I'm doing Smith Machine squats uh, instead of free weight squats, and the, the range is a lot greater. Yeah, just because of the stability. Yeah, and uh, my feet are slightly in front of my centre of mass, yeah. so there's uh, less mobility requirements on the ankle. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. What should we talk about for training next week? Uh, this get is your area specialty. Get the listeners excited. What I was, it's a little bit backwards, but what I was half tempted to do today's episode on was training principles again. That's what I did. I know we kind of touched on it, didn't we, with rotating exercises and the principle of variety. Yeah, a little bit, but I do think that that's worth getting in just the sport and fit. Um, so we're going to take it, kind of peel it back to basics a little bit with the training principles, aren't we? Yeah, I think if we went through, went over phrase of adaptation, which for most people is not that important, um, but it's quite nice to have an understanding of, and like how you apply them in practice can be a little bit different. Yeah, the, you, yeah we've got a couple of different training theories. The principles are really, really good to understand and applicable to any training program ever. So yeah. that that would be good to go over. And then we covered our main training variables last week with volume and intensity. Yeah, amazing. So, Love it. Cool. We'll do that next week. Um, thanks all for listening and tune in next week for that episode.